and Jake, are, we're here again. We're reloaded, and we're ready to do a little Matrix Reloaded. Yes, Matrix Reloaded. And uh, Jake, I'll tell you, uh, the anticipation I had for this movie was off the charts. I don't know if I ever anticipated a sequel to anything more. I mean, it, I'm sure there are some movies, but this one, I just remember going to the theaters being like, man, if they match that first movie, my head's going to explode or something. I remember skipping... Oh, I might have been in college at the time. I just remember skipping something. I saw this movie as soon as it came out. And I remember yeah. being like, in terms of spectacle and like action sequences, I was just blown away. Um, yes. So I, on rewatch, I was actually, because in my memory, Reloaded and Revolutions were just like bad movies, I guess. But on rewatch, I actually, <laughs> I found myself enjoying Reloaded a lot more. But I will say, I have to say this, the first act of Reloaded, really, really bad. Um, Everything where they're introducing Zion, everything where it's like Morpheus is talking to like the the, the council and stuff. It's just not none of it's none of it worked for me. None of it's clicking for me. I, it's like I feel like a lot of the chemistry isn't there. I feel like Fishburn is sort of turning self conscious and is not like I felt like he was in the zone in that first movie playing Morpheus and this first actor reloaded. I don't like he's just not in the same space. I feel like the whole thing where he like. He says goodnight to Zion, and then at one point he gives this whole speech to like pump up Zion. It just it didn't work for me. And the whole the like council of elders and Zion is this crazy place in a cave with a bunch of people. It was there's I don't know all. <laughs> it's hard. I'm I'm trying to get all this out at once, but it's like Zion never totally makes sense to me structurally. It's never really shown to you. In parts of Revolution, they're, they're like having the battle, and they're like, there's the bridge, then there's the city, then there's the temple. So you get this sort of uh, Russian doll image, I guess, in my head, is the best I can conjure. But it's like, I wish they had kind of shown me how it actually is, and like given me a better idea of like how many people are really there, and like how many are in the military, like how many are in the like actual city. It's just like at some points you get vast shots of a huge population, at other points you're like looking at this military, and you're like, it doesn't look like that many people. And then it's like there's only 12 ships outside the city that are like kind of going through the tunnels like the Nebuchadnezzar and stuff. The whole, it's just like they have to rebuild this whole world of Zion in the real world now that like they've done the Matrix thing and they were able to do that. And I just felt like that whole uh, world building in the first act of Reloaded didn't work for me that well. I would have to agree. So I really liked Reloaded, but for me it's a movie where like in the second half, it really takes yes. off, and like we'll get—I'm sure we'll get into the scenes. Um, that first act is brutal, though. When I was rewatching, I was just like, "This is not working." I don't. I don't. I wouldn't say brutal for me. And the reason for that was they start off and they quickly reintroduce Neo, and they quickly establish he can now beat several agents with ease. Um, right. Which has been freeing many people. Which was cool, but um, again, it takes place in the Matrix, and then as soon as you get out, it definitely loses some oomph, and it's like, because you're spending about 30 minutes out of the Matrix, and... Which I also get, because the whole time, it's like, what is... Like, the questions you have from the first movie is like, what is Zion? What is this place? How does it work? What's the war? You know, like, you want to know all those things, so I get why they go there, but I just didn't like what they do, and so I just don't like... The whole... That whole first act doesn't flow very well, and it's clunky... There's one part, I can't, um, I saw this in the trivia thing, but it, uh, someone, it has the worst line of movie dialogue ever said in, in a movie, which is this councilman talking to Neo at night when they're like looking at machines, and he's like, 
Your life is the sum of a remainder of an equi- of an unbalanced equation from the machine. And it's just the clunkiest line of dialogue. And it's like, that's what you're, I don't know. It's just, there are so many problems I have in that first act that I'm, I'm already being too harsh on it, I guess. But. No, well, I think, I think we're, I think I'm picking up what you're putting down. Because one of the things that I thought about, and I think one of the problems with Zion is, and you kind of touched on this, it's, your the whole first movie, you're fighting for Zion. You're fighting for humanity. It's like, what does that look like? What are you fighting for? And outside of a really weird orgy and like a very um, pantomime speech from Morpheus, you get very little insight. And like, so it's like, you don't get to see like, what are the families like? And I guess there's the Link character, but it's like, you get some like, you're not seeing his family. You're seeing him fight with his wife, which does not make for good, like yeah. a good movie. It's like... A little domestic, uh, not physical fight, but like you could just get to see him and his wife be meet, mad at each other, but you've never seen them before, so it doesn't, it just doesn't really work. Yeah, it's almost like just give me a tracking shot sort of through like where is like, where, is it, where are people getting their like, you know, groceries and food or like where are they buying their clothes from and like where's like the little village of like people trading goods and stuff? It's like where I, I just have no, it's like I have no concept of what the city is really like. Or also, what do people do outside of fight? Like, who's building these machines? Who's tending to them? Exactly. Where are they getting their food from? Who's looking after the kids? Like, there's Does so many play, questions. Yeah, I mean, I it's like, does anyone play a sport? Does anyone, like, play a little chess? Like, <laughs> it's like, it, it just seems like it's a bunch of people in a cave with no shoes. If it were a culture, you'd say these are the Spartans, which, like, is not yeah. a very fun, warm thing. Like, and it makes sense. See, they've been fighting the machines forever. Like, but at the same time, it's like, they don't really sing or dance. Like, the dancing scene, it's an orgy. They're just grinding on each other. It's like you get very little insight into the culture of humanity at this point. Well, so, uh, yeah, at this point during this orgy scene, I think we should touch on one of the deeper uh, subtexts of this movie. And it's a subtext that really went overlooked at the time that it came out, but uh, since we gained and gained and gained steam, and now when I watch these movies, it's hard for me not to see these subtexts, but the whole idea of sexual conversion and the whole uh, transgender identity, I think, was a theme that was sorely missed when these movies first came out, and is clearly a part of them. All of a lot of these characters are um, androgynous. A lot of them um, seem to skew on the edges of uh, sexual boundaries and stuff. And it's very clear to me. Both directors, by the way, have transitioned into females, and I think a very uh, clear way to interpret the Matrix is to see it as. The Matrix has you as sexual identities uh, have you, and that you need to burst free from these sexual identities and find your true self, find your oneness and stuff. And I think all of that can be applied to these movies. And so when I see the, the, these, you know, in the first movie, there's a club scene with a lot of weird sex stuff going on. The second movie has this cave scene that's sort of like this sex orgy thing, and then Neo and and, and uh, Trinity start having sex and stuff. And it's just, I think there's a lot of, gender identity stuff going on that I uh, per, like I'll admit this really I did not see all that when I was a kid in 1999 but now when I watch these movies and I think about the directors and I see some of these scenes like yes the matrix extends beyond you know just your basic thing it's like yes even your sexual identity can be can be uh, revolutionized that's interesting and I didn't pick up on that subtext although I will say that's the Mario Vingian scene the opening act of the third movie they literally go to a sex club where there's cross-dressers and like, so it's something that I think, and it may, it's funny as the movies go on and you look at those, like it go, it went from more extreme, like, oh, they're at a club. 
oh, they're at this yeah. like community dance orgy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they're in an actual sex club where these strangers are just coming in. And <laughs> and it's obviously not saying one's better or worse than the other, but it, there's clearly a uh, progression of yeah. that type of, I don't know, it's like a party or a celebration, a celebration of sexuality, but it's pretty cool to see that and understand that. Also, oh, the character Switch from the first movie. Originally, Switch, it was supposed to be a woman in the real world and a man in the Matrix, or a man in the real world and a woman in the Matrix, mm-hmm. and it was supposed to kind of represent people that have, like, oh, I'm a woman in this life, but I kind of feel like a man kind of thing, and it's like, Switch, I, I wish they kind of did that, actually. I think it's dumb they didn't, but they still call her Switch. But I think that would have been cool, that where it's like, oh, yeah, you're one gender in reality and one gender in the Matrix, and something just got kind of crossed, or, you know... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, after rewatching, I, I'm still picking up that vibe from her. Uh, she's got a that's a that's a close cut. She's got. <laughs> Wait, am I thinking the right? Is switch the blonde woman, or am I mixing yeah, it up? No, switch the yeah. blonde woman. Okay. She dies. She gets unplugged. Um, by the way, that scene. Rewatching that scene. Oh, sorry, we're on a different movie now. But um, so no, that's great. And the for me, the Matrix Reloaded. I think the sequels, we kind of touched on this understandably, they're they're not regarded as highly. To me, Reloaded is the superior of the two. And really, I and I think it fits better with the first one. And it mainly is because of the action, and they do a great job. I've talked about this in Marvel movies. In this one, they're telling stories through the action sequences, and it's progressing the plot for the most part. Also, um, yeah, it's like you have this whole crazy, you have an extended first act, which I understand why it's extended, but they do it poorly. Yes, I, 100%. That, that, honestly, the, the worst part of all of these movies is that first act of Reloaded, I think. Because even Revolutions, I think, gets a bad rap for what it really is. Cause it, but, like, the, undeniably, that first act of Reloaded is just not good filming. And it's just got to be said. But then, <laughs> for every, so then basically it's like Neo uh, has to go to the Oracle to figure out, like, what he needs to do next in the Oracle. Uh Tells him about the keymaker, but then after she leaves, he has to do the burly brawl with uh, Agent Smith. It's called the burly brawl, right? I think. Is that when it, the million, like the old yeah, Agent Smith, like come? the multiple Smiths all coming at him, and he's got a, It's a great fight scene. A lot of CGI, a lot of technical stuff. But that's a, the type of fight scene where you're like, from the first movie, you're like, wow, they are going to another level with this stuff. Like the, to see all these Agent Smiths attack Neo at once, and all the you know suddenly he's doing flying stuff, and it's a whole other world of fighting when they do that scene. So that really introduces you to that. And then, but now it's like Neo finds out about this keymaker. And so he's got to go get the keymaker from the Merrill Lynch, right? He, Merrill Lynch is the one who's holding the keymaker. And um, I was going to ask you about this because I don't totally know what the reference is with the Merrill Lynch, but I love the character. And I love that he's like this high end deal maker with a French background. He's like a French billionaire kind of background, but it's like you don't really know. What, what he does other than kind of make deals with programs or something but so he somehow captured this key maker guy he's got the keys to the back door and the key to the source apparently and neo and morpheus and trinity got to track him track him down and get it all um what's did, give me your take on the merrill lynchian do you know any deeper context to that guy and everything my understanding is that he um they talk about in the second movie like Persephone, his wife, is supposed to be a vampire. They like he's got the two ghost twins. They even refer to the yeah. wife refers to them like as like vampires or werewolves. Some of their other henchmen, like these, are supposed to be the like rogue, like his collection. It's like the, his subordinates are like these monsters and everything. And his wife right. is Persephone. And to me, that's a very like clear allusion or reference to 
Persephone in Greek mythology was kidnapped by Hades and her mother, uh, I think it was Hestia, her, her mother, who's one of the great Persephone and her mother were two of the, of the main 12, um, gods in the pantheon. Persephone was kidnapped by Hades. Um, and her mom who controlled the harvests created winter out of basically as punishment to the world to wait, let me retell that story. The story was Hades kidnapped Persephone's and Zeus was able, and Zeus was able to broker a deal between Hades and um, her mom that she would spend six months a year with Hades as his wife. And then six months a year with her mom uh, in the real world. And that the idea was that Persephone there and the way that came about was that the mom Hestia created a massive um, famine that nearly wiped everyone out and Zeus in order to, as like a, as a payback and also to basically overload Hades with dead people um, to like basically overwhelm Hades and to punish everyone living. And as a as a deal, they made the deal that Persephone would spend six months in the real living, six months dead. dead. I see. But the idea there is that Persephone is trapped in a world that she doesn't really enjoy. But um, like she, she's trapped. She's trapped in a world that's not her own, and that's what Persephone is in the Matrix. That's why she's yeah so bitter about it. However, I, mean, I, also, it seems I like she's she's exiled. And the and Marilyn exiled from the other like six major six kind of right. Yes, so I was gonna say for the Merovingian, it's interesting. So Hades is the dead, the god of the underworld, and we always associate that with the devil. And that's like in Greek mythology, Hades wasn't actually considered. He wasn't as considered like capricious and evil as we consider in Christian religions. Right, right. The the devil. He was really someone who was like, he was considered fair. There's a bunch of stories of him. Like he was fair. He was tough, but like, he was not exactly an outright malicious character. However, the Mario Vingian, I think has that. He's like more of the Western interpretation of that character. Cause there's definitely a devil aspect there. He's tempting people. Um, he's, he's a liar. The elevator, uh, Fishburne presses the, the button for help, but the P is wiped off. So it says hell when he presses the button and then like, he, he, you know, when they get in there, I think the first line Melanchian says is like, "You fought through hell or something." You got here, um, but yeah. So, so you're saying Melanchian's akin to Hades, right? He's, a, I think, he's akin to Hades, but with a heavy dose of Lucifer, uh, like uh, oh, and the devil. Like they're like th that's who he's supposed to represent that in that pantheon. That makes that helps me. Because <laughs> um, so, just to skip ahead a little bit, what the the, the next time the Melanchian's heavily involved. In Plot is at the beginning of revolutions um, because the, they steal the keymaker. Neo gets to the source, talks to the architect, but then he Neo touches. You know, he stops the sentinels and touches the source himself, and then passes out. And so, this is my next big question to you. So then he gets stuck in the train world, right? Mm -hmm. And obviously, now that you're saying Merlin is like Hades, the, the train man is akin to the uh, what do you the the ferry man, right? In, yes, uh, I can't remember. Six. Yeah, I can't remember the, the name, but yeah, that's exactly. Um, and so that that all fits in for me. But what I don't quite understand is when Neo stops the Sentinels, touches the Source, passes out, how does the Merolinchian get hit? Like, how did he passes out and just ends up in that train world? It's just like, I don't get how... I understand the Merolinchian is controlling the train man, and that's how he, he gets to kind of trap him there, but I don't understand how he got into the train world, really. 
it's like if you pass out in the real world, you end up in that train world. That to me was something that never made sense. They never do a good job explaining. I think it's one of the real uh, marks against the series. I guess it's an opportunity for them to fix a Matrix Four. It's, it's also, they they it's don't. Like, it's I, a clunky way to start that. Yeah, I was going to say they don't actually connect. They never actually explain the connection between the real world and the Matrix and what how Neo is able to bridge the two. Yeah. Which I'm assuming is what the different something different he can do that the other previous ones couldn't. Well, again, he's tapping into the source code. So mm -hmm. it's like you see the one as part of the source. It's like he's touching the original machine code again. Which is, That's the way I'm understanding it. Where it's like he's just another... <laughs> he's basically just another program from the machine world. But he has a human physical body in the real world. But he can still tap into that source code, apparently, because that's how he stops the sentence. But yeah, it doesn't make a ton of sense to me how he ends up in the train world, really. Um, and then the other part on top of that is, so then... Oh, wait, I, 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 I was just going to say um, about the actual train man and everything, though. One of the things I thought was, what if, like, where the, he's bringing him? I don't know how he got there. But what if that place, like that subway, if it's a remnant from one of the previous Matrixes? Like it's and like. Well, I understood it as more of a back door. That okay. The explain it is he's smuggling programs from the machine world into the Matrix, and so it's like that Indian family there. They're like, we need to smuggle our daughter from the machine world into the Matrix. Yeah. They're like, we're going to go back to the source, but our daughter's going to make it because we've made this deal with the Maryland Chief. Okay. No, no. So I, I, I think it's been there the whole time. I think it's more of like a programming back door thing, where it's like instead of being jacking somebody in, they know how to smuggle them through this back doorway. But it's like. So I got okay. So it's like Neo touching the source is basically plugging himself back into the Matrix, but because he's not plugged in, he passes out and he ends up in this back door here. Is the best I can explain it. <laughs> my next question though is <laughs> my next question is so he's trapped in there, Morpheus, Trinity, and Seraph, uh, one of my favorite characters. They go in By the way, Seraph is literally the name for an angel, and like that's exactly he's a guardian angel in this. And also I heard that was originally supposed to be gently. Gently ask for as much money as Keanu Reeves. Yeah, that kills me. I really wish it was gently. Oh, greed. Greed is a sin, <laughs> my friends. Um, but so they, they go into the sex club, meet up with the Maryland Channel. Oh, wait, wait, are, wait. Are, should we spend a little more time on Reloaded? I, well, We're I, like, just, what? I wanted to talk about the Maryland Channel, so this is his only other scene. Well, like, no, we no, no. You're, you're not even talking What's about it? the actual fight with the Mario Vingian. You're skipping over the whole... Conflict in the Matrix Reloaded, but let's keep going. Well, we can go back to that because that's actually. Well, I, talking, like, I, kinda, I skipped over it. I say they, they have to go through the Maryland chain to get the keyword. So let's just focus on this. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, we can we can pivot back to Reloaded. Yeah, we'll I just because right. actually, the, honestly, this part of Revolutions kind of should be part of Reloaded. It just like it wasn't a good way to climax Reloaded, so I get why they kind of pushed it off. I guess I actually agree. It reminds me of Avengers Endgame, where like the first twenty minutes of that movie really should have been the end of the previous, and like yeah. that's exactly you're hundred percent right. This movie, even with the fight scene, we we'll get into that, but it really fits. If it, it would have fit perfectly at the end of Reloaded, and it's really clunky with the rest. I mean, Revolutions of this movie. doesn't start until the machines like actually attack Zion, and like, yeah. that's like Revolutions. But anyway. Okay, I'm sorry. You were talking about Mary Vingian, uh third Mary movie. Yeah. Yep. Finally, they get to the sex club. Morpheus Trinity's there off. And they go up to the Merylichian. Like, where the fuck's Neo? We know you got him trapped somewhere. And the Merylichian is like, look, you guys, you took that keymaker from me. I had to kill the Oracle. She's in a new body. And, um, like, I'm not going to give them to you unless you have something to give to me. Is basically what he says. And then Trinity gets pissed off. 
does a bunch of kung fu kicks, guns go flying, everyone's fighting for two seconds. Trinity catches a gun, points it at Marilyn Sheen's head, and she's like, here's the deal. You either let him go or we're all dying here and I'm going to shoot you. And I was watching and I'm like, man, this character, I really like the Marilyn Sheen and everything. But then the next cut is basically the train stops and Trinity comes out of the train and grabs Neo. They get on the train and they go back home. And it's like the whole conflict with the Merrill Lynchian ends just with like a Mexican standoff from Trinity. And you don't even see the end of that scene. They just cut to him getting onto the train. And I'm kind of like, so what? They didn't give the Merrill Lynchian anything? He just backed off after she pointed a gun at his head? I totally, I think that's a totally fair critique, but I just read it differently. I actually really like it because to me, his whole character is about choice and like cause and effect. It's like he has that whole thing. It's like in the first, in yeah, Reloaded, causation. it's like yeah, causation, yeah. it's cause and effect. Like, what do you have to give me? And to me, Which the way. Explain with the whole free and free will in the movies and stuff where he's kind of bringing in a new force and he's just saying, I do things, and that's like I'm causing yeah. things to happen. Exactly. So, where I was going with that was that for him, his whole thing is like he's the one. It's always about what can you give me, and Trinity uses the only bargaining chip that he cares about. It's his life, and I just thought, to me, the way I read that scene and the way I interpret it is like, it's Trinity. It's him actually. Like, he makes the mistake of letting them. He's toying with them the whole time. He's like a cat. Like he has his Cheshire cat smile. He's toying with them. He they get into the club and can immediately probably be overwhelmed. And he brings them up to him because he's he's. He is, like, soaking it up. He's got Neo caught. He killed the Oracle. He's got them right where he wants them. And it's just, like, Trinity has this moment where she's like, fuck off. She flips the script. Which, by the way, that's one of, I think one of the best fight scenes in the movie is that whole sequence. And yeah. But the way I look at it is it's, like, they, everything with him is a negotiation. And, like, she gets the gun on him. And there's even this scene where he's about, like, you can tell he's about to call her on it. And his wife, Persephone, is actually, like, almost egging her on. And she's like, she'll do it. Like, don't, basically warning her husband, she's going to do it. Like, do you see how crazy she is? And it's basically, to me, the way I see it, it's the Merovingian backing down. And the reason why I think he wasn't a threat after that is most people would be like, oh, he's still a danger. At the end of the film, not to skip all the way to the end, there's this, conversation where someone basically asks the architect if they can trust him and he's a machine and he's like i don't lie and it's i think the yeah. mario vingian has that same thing like he doesn't need to lie so he doesn't lie and he'll uphold his end of the bargain but the last I thing I, but the last thing i was going to say about that whole scene and the way i read that is outside of a few lines from smith in the first movie you never really get to see how the rebels are viewed by machines or in this case like the rogue programs and it's pretty cool because neo is not among them when they come in and they people immediately recognize seraph uh, morpheus and trinity and these rogue programs are terrified of them like the other ones like everyone other than the Mer merovingian are like clearly and like his up uh, his crew like his like uh, elite crew or inner circle are clearly terrified of them. And so what I took that is it's kind of reading. It's like, these are the heroes, but they're also, they're bad in their own way. Like, like the Morpheus, Trinity, Seraph, like they are dangerous in their own right. And like, as much as we see these other, whether it's Smith or the ghost twins or just the regular agents, right. it's like, we're, we're always thinking of them as the threat. And it's to me understanding that like, no, no, Trinity and Morpheus and Seraph like, and the other rebels, they're threats to programs, too. It's like realizing that it goes both ways. 
Seraph is a program. I think I always kind of thought like Seraph's the Madden's one that these guys can't because he's the one that's protecting the Oracle and stuff. But you're right. I mean, uh, Trinity and Morpheus definitely have their own reps with these programs and stuff. Uh, and uh, yeah, so my uh, little take, I, I get what you're saying there, that the only bargaining chip they really had with the Merlin is his life. I think I just would have maybe written it differently or maybe had the situation go differently so that it's like he really feels the weight of his life kind of where I, I think it's kind of like a quick moment. But the other thing you could have, like maybe you could write in that him and Persephone have a child like that Indian family and they're trying to smuggle the child in through the train maker. And maybe that could have been a bargaining chip or something. I, just, I think that could have been written in a way that where like you do make a real deal with the Maryland chief. And it's not just like you got to point a gun to his head and you get what you want. Um, but I hear what you're saying, where it's like the way it's set up, that's really the only chip they have to bargain with. So also, it just has to go down that way. Also, thinking of the time in this movie came out after the Iraq War, where at a time the French were not high on anyone's list in America. And it kind of, to me, it's like a, a critique of the French. I'm not trying to be mean, but it's a, this character, it's basically saying like they're all talk and at the end of the day, they're not worth it. I'm not trying to offend any French people. But I think that's something at the time I remember kind of reading it like that. Like, yeah, like, I mean, there's a lot of, you're right, there's a lot of tropes going on with that character, whether it's uh, Hades or Lucifer or like, you know, even like, <laughs> but it even reminds me of, uh, what was it? What's that? Um, Devil's Advocate a little bit, the Al Pacino. It's just like any businessman with that much power talking that way with that kind of a tie, it's like represents the devil without a doubt. And so, I, you know, I think you had a good read on him. Interesting character to me. I just wish it's like that's the last time you see him, and I like that character. And he was clearly like of those exiled programs, one of the most powerful in the Matrix. So I always found him, you know, it's like he always had uh, had a one up on anyone else that came into his room. Kind of, so well, I, yeah, I don't know. I hope they bring him back because you you just touched on it, like he, he was powerful to him. He was so powerful, I think, because of his information, and he alludes to it. He clearly survived other ones. He encountered other yeah. ones. And I just feel like there was a lot of territory to like Yeah. 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 Like, I think I agree with you 100%. And he's a character. If you're going to go back to this in Matrix 4, go to him. I want to see what he and Persephone are up to. Like, and I want yeah. those actors and actresses. I want the both that, that actor and actress in that role because they're awesome. Monica Bellucci's Persephone is also yeah. incredible. Blazing. Blazing. Oh, she is. Talk about throwing 100. She's the best. Also, she does a great job in the role. Like, her scene yeah. with Trinity is one of my favorite, where like the standoff, they like pull the gun on each other. That, oh, and the, and the kiss scene with uh, Keanu, I think, is a good 